To all my moms moving on, I have something amazing for you. If you're ready to move on from your engagement ring, the experts at Worthy can help you turn it into cash, fast and risk-free. Worthy does all the work and their competitive auctions get you the best deal possible. Over 45,000 people have already moved on with Worthy. Are you ready to move on too? Visit worthy.com slash moms to get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash moms for a special bonus offer just for the Moms Moving On community. This week on Moms Moving On. So many women who come to me and they'll say, I want to get divorced, but I don't want to be that single mom. Mm, I'm like, but that's not what you have to be just because, you know, we've we've been told that if you end up single mom, you're bad and, you know, the man is better off. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another episode of Moms Moving On. I'm so excited to be here today with Ashley Simpo. She is a writer, mother, advocate, and speaker living in New York City. She's a co-parent. She is so wise. Her Instagram account, if you took a look at it, you'd know why we love her and really appreciate the work she puts out into the world. And we're going to have a really interesting talk today and take a look at the term single mother. And I'm really excited to dive deep with you, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here, Michelle. It's an honor. Okay, so I I took like the the website bio for you and just threw it out into the world, but let's hear the real bio. Oh, wow. Um, California raised, New York made. I feel like I've lived here my entire adult life. Writer, editor, advocate in many ways for many people, many things. Um, and yeah, just like a, a mom who is who is trying to expand what that word means and, and redefine it in every way that I can. Uh, yeah, Ashley. <laughs> Which is, I feel like in today's era of motherhood, we're all just out here on our own journeys trying to redefine whatever our experiences looked like, good or bad. You know, I think there's so much more education out there, but there's also so much more opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a bigger there's a bigger gap between classes, you know, different systems. And you said something really profound offline. You said that for you growing up with a single mom, you experienced something very different than what your single motherhood journey looks like. And I want you to touch on that a little bit for people, because it's the exact same situation I had. And it really spoke to me. Yeah. I think this term single motherhood is so loaded. And when I hear single mother, I do, I think of my mom um, who was divorced by the time I was 12 and my father was no longer a part of our lives. So she was raising my sister and I on a single income, no co-parenting involved, no shared weekends, none of that. Um, And, you know, we also had, of course, community from family, aunts, grandmothers, and that kind of kinship. But in terms of a co-parent, which I think is important, it feels differently when the father or the other parent of your child is involved. You know, there's a different type of comfort um, level, but that was what I experienced growing up. And so my own experience with single parenthood is as a divorced person who my child's father is very much a part of our lives. You know, we 
both show up on the first day of school. We coordinate school supplies. We have schedules. You know, he's with him Friday. He's picking him up today. He's going to be with him all week. I have two incomes that are contributing to this child's life. So those things, I think, when I think about the single parenthood that I experienced growing up with my mom, feels like a privilege compared to sort of like the government's definition statistically of what makes a single mother and like what happens when you Google single mother, which you see is that uh, there are a lot of people, some of who, like my mother I grew up with or that I even know today, who are really doing this alone. And it just doesn't feel right to me to say that I'm a single mom. I just don't right. feel like that's I I'm feel you. And and I too had the same experience. I felt like my mom my mom had, my dad took off, you know, was left with no child support, no financial support. She did have family that could contribute if necessary, but she was an immigrant to this country, had never held a job in this country. And for her, it was isolating. And then I started my own experience and parents around the corner, friends all over the place. I was earning enough money that I didn't need to worry. And and had a co-parent at that time, a co-parent who was willing and able to be involved, I often felt, am I doing disservice to the true single moms out there by calling myself one? So I, I've always been very careful with that because I, you know, every everything's offensive these days on social media, but I also know the pain of having to do it all by yourself and never wanted to make, flaunt my privilege in somebody else's face in that regard, right? So- it's interesting having this conversation because this riles people up, as you know. <laughs> I, I felt that I think in in speaking to friends who, for one reason or another, just do not have the type of co-parent that my that I have, and just kind of feeling like, you know, hearing them say, "Well, you're lucky because you have someone who can pick your kid up," or "You're lucky because of this." And I think I was kind of initially offended by that. Like, wait, this is still a struggle. But, um, but no, I mean, I think it's, it's a huge relief and a huge source of support to have a parent in my son's life who gets it, who's been around since the beginning, who remembers when he was a little fat, chubby baby, and we can laugh about it. We don't have to be best friends, you know, but we are literally doing this together and experiencing this together. So I find that to be an enormous privilege. Yes, it is. And to anybody listening who's sitting there saying, oh my God, we can never do that. We're never going to be good co-parents because we can't be friends. I actually Mm -hmm. posted research last night that shows that the majority of children in divorced homes, they're not, they don't need their parents to be friends. They just need them to be civil and cordial. So if that's all you have, please, that's, that's more than enough. But to your point, having that relationship now with my child, with my daughter's father, it wasn't always that way. And I remember putting the pressure on myself to like recreate this, I don't know, dynamic that nobody was ready for. Did you feel that in the beginning or you guys were like good from the jump? Oh no, we were not good from the jump. I, I think it was, it, it's hard. I mean, breakups are hard. Um, someone's hurt, someone's disappointed. You know, it's always difficult. And that I want to say the early days of co-parenting was a lot of, Um, me deciding that what was most important was having a strong relationship as a family at some point. And I did a lot of choosing my battles and I did a lot of avoiding different, more aggressive routes that I could have taken. I had a lot of people saying, you know, track them to court and all of that. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I could have gone that route and going that route is totally justifiable if you need to. But I didn't specifically because of how divisive that process can be 
and I just wanted to focus on, you know, peace. I, I made a lot of sacrifices. I think he did too as well. But now our son is 11. He just turned 11 Wednesday. <laughs> and um, Happy birthday. That's a big number. It's an enormous number. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm really proud of like where we've come, you know, where he, you know, he came and dropped school supplies off because th- they started school yesterday and uh, stuck around for a little bit. And like, you know, we can kind of hang out for a little bit and, and let our kids see that we are um, amicable and friendly mm-hmm. and that, you know, we've known each other for a long time and that we're cool. And that was not what it looked like in the first few years after separation and divorce. It was Same. definitely not what it looked like. So, yeah. And it's not realistic. I mean, you're so oh. clouded by emotion and you're only looking at how this person did you dirty or how they didn't treat you or treated you. And for me, it was like, oh my God, I woke up one day, Ashley. And I'm like, my daughter is so lucky. Like a dad that literally chooses her, he sacrificed a lot for her to stay in a community here where we live after we divorced, where he doesn't have family, where his support system was not there, but because he wakes up and chooses her every day. And it was like my whole lens shifted, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that maybe we weren't speaking to each other as nicely as we should have been then, or he keeps her up too late and shows her R-rated movie, whatever the differences were. I went big picture and I found that it is so helpful when I, when my clients are able to take that step back and see through that lens, because having another active parent in your child's life, it doesn't just make your life easier. Scientifically research-based shows that your kid will thrive that much more from having both parents involved. Not to say they can't with one, many amazing, successful people raised by single mamas like you and I, but it is an added bonus. Absolutely. And I think what's great is that, you know, there's been a lot of conversation, obviously, in my house about divorce with my kid. I wrote a kid's book about it, but it's like, I know I want to get into that. We will. <laughs> but I, what I love is that he's very secure about it um, at this point, you know, after all the conversations we've had and the nurturing that has, that has happened in both of our homes is my son is not, um, he doesn't feel like he comes from a broken home. You know, I think that he could argue anyone down, like there's nothing broken about my home. Everyone's fine. And, you know, I think that that's great so that he has more empathy and in, in regards to other kids or people who'll meet who, who are going through this and he can say, you know, it's fine, actually. It's almost like you read my mind with the broken home segue I was about to take, which is going to lead us into your book. But there's a book that it's been out for a long time. It's called Mom's House, Dad's House. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but they it was written one version for adults to understand how to help their kids through the divorce process. And there's a version written for kids, but there's a quote in the adult one that says, when the marriage ends, the family does not break. It does not magically disappear. It can instead expand into separate healthy cells from the same organism. The total amount of time spent together is not necessarily the most important characteristic of a family, but the commitment and caring for one another is. And that to me, like, that just hits because when you do sit down and explain divorce to a child, it's giving this idea that we may not look the same anymore, but we are not broken. We're just restructuring. We're still healthy cells, but now we're going to be in different places. So with that, I want to talk about another valuable book that helps children through divorce. And that's yours. I want to hear all about it. Oh, I, I, um, I love this book because it came about kind of organically. I was, my son spent some time over the summer at my sister's house in California and I came to pick him up. And mind you, my sister 
very nuclear family. She's been with her husband for like 20 years at this point. They have three kids. They had one at the time. And I think it was the first time where my my kid kind of realized, oh, this is not what my family looks like. And when I came to pick him up, he was a little annoyed with me. He was like, you know, he had questions. All of a sudden he was seven. How old? And wait, when you split, how old was he? He was three. Okay. So yeah. Especially yeah. split. Yeah. So I just, you know, he just hadn't, I think, conceptualized it at that level of maturity at that point. And so just out of the blue had all of these questions that I had never really heard him ask that way before. Why, why are you and daddy not together? When are you going to get back together? What is it? You know, all these very pointed questions. And I didn't feel prepared enough um, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And nobody I, ever is. It no, hits yeah, you. I just did not see it coming at all. I thought, Especially, like, yes, when your children are young, we have this misconception of like, oh, they don't remember, they won't know. But they do go through a period, it happened to my daughter too, of mourning the loss of what they can't remember. And that's where those questions come from. Absolutely. And and just seeing it in their peers and just feeling a little bit othered by that. So I, I felt for a loss for where I felt a loss for words and went kind of looking for resources that kind of watered it down. And uh, I didn't find anything. So I ended up just like writing notes on my computer about like what to say so that I could readdress it better because I kind of stumbled through that conversation and was like, let's talk when we get back home and uh-huh. um, stalled for time. Um and those notes became a more structured conversation about sort of just the beautiful side of being whole and feeling safe, whatever that looks like, and that family is not defined by where you live. Um, and that became the book. And I, I reached reached out to uh, Jelani Memory, who's the founder of A Kids Co., um, because they had this amazing offering of kids books that were written in just very simplistic ways, really complicated, hard topics. I mean, mm-hmm. everything from suicide to school shootings at this point, they touch on everything. Wow. And I didn't see divorce at the time. And so I emailed him directly and was like, hey, you guys should do a book on divorce. And I linked to an article that I wrote to say, like, this is something that I think people need to talk about. Um, and he kind of just said, well, you write it. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay. So yeah, it was a really cool collaborative process. And we made this this book that just kind of walks you through a conversation. You read it with your kid and it starts the conversation for you um, and gives kids sort of a language to use to ask the questions that they have. Yeah. And I say it all the time. There's no greater resource for explaining this to your children than books. We use the books to open up conversations, to get them to ask questions, to explain things in language they can understand because yeah, we fumble when it's, you know, even now when my daughter asks me questions with all that I know and all the certifications and trainings, I'm like, I'm going to get back to you on that, which is a very okay answer. I'd rather say, I don't know than then give her some bullshit because they always see through that. But but yeah. I think it's these books are such helpful tools. Yeah, I I um I also wanna I'm gonna uh maybe link to you the the book and I can offer a discount code for your listeners um because I really think that it's such a great valuable source to have in the library, especially for young kids, like five, six, seven, eight, those early, those early mm-hmm. ages. Um mm-hmm. so I would love to share that with the listeners. We would love that. And um, I have the name of your book here. It's literally called A Kid's Book About Divorce. I mean, yeah. it, it 
doesn't get any easier. If you Google books for kids about divorce, like this will probably be the first one that comes up, but we will definitely link it. They're calling it the Bible for all divorcing moms. I can't believe it, but that's what they've said about my book, Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and come out on the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. It's available in paperback, hardcover, audiobook, and Kindle. So go get my book. I promise you won't regret it. I want to I wanna also talk about something else we brought up offline about the village and all this controversy about the village. I want to hear your thoughts on what's going on, because for those of you who did not know, just like I didn't know, um, there's this theory online now that the village is not free and the village that we literally need to survive and thrive as single moms or moms in general. Where is it and why is it coming at a cost? Yeah. I I mean, I so I came across this video and then I saw it on multiple uh, accounts on social media where someone, a woman, a, a mother was saying, where's this village that everyone's talking about? I can't find it. And then someone stitched it and said, well, we have to prepare women to pay for their village. And they were referring to nannies, housekeepers, you know, things like that, which sounds like staff to me, not village. And not at all to say that those are not valuable tools to have in your, you know, tool belt is to have some kind of like supplemental help if you can afford it. But realistically, a lot of folks cannot afford that. And so I think it pained me a little bit to hear that, especially as someone who has heavily leaned into the village and creating community as someone who literally left California and moved here with a three-year-old, my uh, ex-husband and I moved here as separate people. We had already decided to divorce and moved here to New York. So we, I was really on my own. I had friends and everything like that, but there's a different kind of community when you're talking about your friends and when you're talking about the community around your family and your children. Um, and I learned how to intentionally create that community. And I, I would never want um, someone who wants to have children to be deterred from the experience of having them because they think they don't make enough money to afford a staff. Agree. I had no staff when I had <laughs> my daughter. Um, when I was separated, I had a cleaning lady that would come to my little townhouse like once a month, which was like, I was cleaning most of the time anyway, but it made me feel like, okay, someone you know, was helping me out here, but I definitely could have done without her. I could not have done without my free village, which, you know, were the friends that stuck around when shit got hard. A lot of them did not. So it, I really learned to appreciate the people in my life who were there unconditionally. Um, and, but, you know, yes, would your life be easier with a full-time staff and a chef and a this and a that? Probably, but that's not emotional support. And for me, the idea of village is somebody who can hold your hand through a hard time, which I don't know that you'd ask a nanny to do. No. And I, and I, that's a great point. I think probably one of my most underrated subtle forms of community support is when 
a friend, um, so my son's best friend lives across the street, which is an enormous privilege that they live right there. But just our kids hanging out and us sharing a glass of wine and talking and catching up. And it's like sharing the emotional load of having kids for a little bit. I was just like, I'll bring my kid over there and we'll hang for the day or I'll, you know, can you take him today and I'll take him on Thursday. Um, I'll pick him up on, you know, whatever, and they can spend the night and you get a break. Those are, those are, I think, uh, part of a lot of work and, and creating like sowing seeds and like creating uh, relationships with people really intentionally and saying, what do you need? How can I help? Or sharing what I need and asking for help, which is another really important That's, element of creating community. It's so funny because the women, the women who end up like in our situations are very often the ones who don't like asking for help. What is that oh, about? I mean, it's, I, I feel like this, this weird kind of reward system, I think that mothers have where we kind of feel more valuable when we're drowning or we feel more like we're getting it <laughs> right. So messed up, but it's so true. I hate it, but it's true. It's just kind of like, oh, I'm super busy. And like, oh, I'm even more, we're doing it right because we're overwhelmed. And I have really tried to remove myself from that and to just tell other women, whether they have kids or not, honestly, I think women across the board do this. Just like, I congratulate you for resting instead of like overwhelming yourself. And like, I hope you're okay. I hope you get rest don't respond to this text, by the way, like you don't have to engage right now. Um, instead of just being like, Oh, you got it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. what we do. Right. And kind of laughing it off. I, I unsubscribe. Absolutely. You know, what's so annoying, Ashley, I just went back to school and turning 40 this year and I decided why not? Right. That's add a pile of shit to my life. It's actually been amazing and so transformative, but I had so much anxiety of now last time I was in grad school, I was single, unattached, no child, lived at home, didn't have bills. Now Mm. it's wow. And I was expressing to a lot of my friends how stressed out I was about adjusting to this change and fitting it all in and making it happen. And everyone's response was, oh, if anyone can do it, it's you. I'm like, it's it's so well-meaning and well-intentioned and flattering. And also at the same time, I'm like, no, I'm drowning here. But I do also have a village that I'm so grateful for a couple of moms whose kids are very close with mine and we're all always pitching in, but they always are the ones reminding me like, no, no, we'll, we'll do the carpool today, Michelle. You did it yesterday. That's what helping out is. Like, I always need a reminder to take a break and everybody needs a friend they can kind of fall apart with. That's not going to be like the whole, oh, you got it. You're the strong one. You can handle it. But it's I bet you're the strong one too, though, for your people. I do. I know. I get that a lot. I think I started pushing back on that, though. And so I feel like being able to be more vulnerable with people, I stopped doing the, the I'm fine thing when people would be like, how are you? And I'd be like, I'm literally falling apart today. I don't have space to engage much. I love you. I'm going to disengage today. And, and not feeding into the idea that because I'm a mom who has a career and all of these different things I think people tick off as like, oh, you got it, that I'm allowed to like fall apart. I'm allowed to have mental health issue for a few days or like need to be depressed for a second or um, have to like do less instead of just being overwhelmed um, so that I can fit this idea of what motherhood should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we've done a really great job in our society of painting this picture of mothers that is like you got carpool and you've got soccer and you've got all these different classes and all these different things and you're you're 
you look fabulous and everything's, you know, everyone's happy. You're emotionally drowning, but that's just the price you pay to be a good mom. Mm -hmm. And I just think that at the end of the day, if I'm too overwhelmed to really be present with my son and be curious and have enough patience for his own emotional up and downs, then, then, then I'm lacking, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that I need to do to make sure that I'm available in that way is the most important thing. For sure. I want to circle back to um, the stigma of single motherhood and movies have done single moms, no favors and the media and songs out there. You know, I, I, there was a song from like when I grew up, I'm probably older than you. Um, God, I'm going to, it's going to come to me. You'll know it. I'm going to, I'll probably send it to you separately, but anyway, how do you feel? Cause we've all experienced a stigma. I'll never forget when I got separated. My daughter was two. She was mm-hmm. in literal daycare. She wasn't even in school. And the teacher called me in one day and was like, yeah, you know, she kept throwing her spoon on the floor today. I I know things must be hard at home now that you're a single mom and all. And I'm like, dude, yeah. she's fucking two, man. Like, right. <laughs> but that was my experience. And now here you are a black single mother where the uh, there's more stigmatization there than I experienced. Right. So I want to hear how that was for you. And, and do you feel you're still battling like the stereotype or what you do to get through that? Yeah, I I think that the whole black single mothers are generally synonymous with baby mama, no matter what, no matter how you had gotten to the place of being a single person. Um, And very much tied to statistics that are not really equitable or (laughs) always correct, but that paint them as impoverished. Um, no resources, just kind of deprived. And I feel like there is definitely a reality there when you're talking about systemic racism, interacting with parenthood, but there is this kind of just this assumption that you're struggling. Um, I remember a few, maybe it was last year, I got into an Uber when I picked my son up from school, which I usually do because the school was just far enough to be like out of the way. And uh, we were riding home and the Uber driver, I guess, was trying to make small talk and and said something like, hey, where's dad? And I was oh. like, who who picks their kid up with both parents, whether you're married or not? Like, who's right. doing that? Um, but he asked that of my son and my son was like at home, like he was just kind of like weirded out by it too. And then the small talk continued, even though I was trying not to speak to this person at that point, but at, at a certain point he inquired how I could afford an Uber to and from school Stop for it. my kid. And I'm was he white? This, yes, he wasn't American. That's, I'll give him that. Okay. There's a okay. little lack of like mm, reading the room, but, um, definitely yeah, a white man. And I was, um, I felt very, I immediately knew what was happening. I'm like, oh, he sees a black mother and he assumes everything he's ever seen on TV or read anywhere and is projecting that onto me. And I felt on one hand, I so defensive. And I was like thinking, he doesn't know that I make six figures. He doesn't know that I'm, you know, his father and I are parenting that this is a planned pregnancy and that, and all of these things that I was thinking of to combat what this person assumed about me. And then also just like, who cares? Like, I don't, even if I was someone who had just happened to get pregnant and was raising a kid and dad was not around, like you're still a valuable person. You still matter. You still should feel safe when you're riding in an Uber. Um, And so I think my takeaway from that was just 
to start to understand my own relationship with being a single mother and feeling how defensive that I I was. It was like, wow, I have some things to work on because this still feels really painful mm-hmm. to be in this way. Um, but but general- I don't see, I'm, I know that like your triggers show you where you need to heal and all of that, but these microaggressions or these, you know, it, I, I think this was a very subconscious, like unaware way of, of expressing a form of not racism per se, but like, here's a stereotype I'm going to throw at you, yeah. right? Like I'm Jewish. I I'm cheap. Right. So like, I've gotten that that's, that's, you know, it's, yeah. and people throw it at you without realizing like the larger context of the issue. Yeah. And it's, it's just so unfortunate. I found the song I was thinking of and I'm bringing it up for a reason. City yeah. high. What would you do? Do you remember that song? Oh, yes. What would you okay. do if your son was at home? Okay. But I, I'll, I'm bringing this up because I remember recently I was in the car with a friend and it came on and we were like, jamming out. You know, you see those videos when people are like, whoa, when you realize what the lyrics really are. Yeah. I'm like, this is fucked up. Like, this is why there are such stereotypes of of single mom in general. Like she's going to wind up on the pole. She's going to go be a hoe. Like it's, it's really, really messed up. And it has, it has created this. So many women who come to me and they'll say, I want to get divorced, but I don't want to be that single mom. Mm, I'm like, but that's not what you have to be just because, you know, we've, we've been told that if you end up single mom, you're bad. And, you know, the man is better off. I I really love the newer kind of, I'm seeing um, a new narrative around being single mothers, especially among black mothers. One podcast that I absolutely love is Good Moms, Bad Choices. I feel like they do a great job of kind of owning their sensuality and their individuality as mothers and not necessarily centering. I have a kid, so I have to like condense myself and minimize myself and just be a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the thing about it is like, even if you are a mother who is also uh, on the pole, you're still valid. You're still it doesn't make you a bad mom. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're not taking care of your child and loving them and nurturing them. Um, and I think there's a lot of, I think, more nuance that we can start to embrace as a society and say, you can be so many things at once and it doesn't have to be bad or negative. It doesn't have to you know, box you into this concept of you failed at something. Right. And it just always feels like women are always fighting against something, right? Whether it's you know, not earning as much as their male colleagues or being criticized for being a working mom and then being criticized for being a stay-at-home mom or then, you know, that being a single mom, a black single mom, like there's always some battle that we're fighting and that we're, and that goes back to the village and why it's so important to have your people to help normalize what it is that you're up against all the time. Absolutely. And I just also just self-defining, you know, a, a life that is self-defined, um, and not necessarily feeling like, oh, this is the box I guess I have to fit into and I have to, you know, apologize for that everywhere I go. I think being standing in where your life is, whatever that looks like, and still requiring love and still requiring people to respect that and to see it and not hiding it is really important. There, There's too much shame wrapped up in like divorce or single parenting. And I, I feel like the more we just refuse that, as something that is our responsibility. The reason why people struggle uh, in society when they're dealing with divorce or single parenthood has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the fact that 
we live in a world that makes it difficult to exist, period. So yeah. it's all, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't do this. <laughs> so, um, the onus is not on us in the first place. And I think that's, that's kind of when my mind shifted where I'm like, I didn't set the system up like this. I'm still allowed to love the way I need to mm-hmm. and be in a relationship in the way that I need to. And I shouldn't have to apologize for the fact that the world is small-minded. It's not me. Yeah. And I, and I do think it takes a lot of self-awareness too, and understanding, you know, who you are in, in light of the way the world might want to see you, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that self-trust and that self-confidence, um, you know, owning your privilege, right. And privilege and not in the context of how much money you have, but what are the day-to-day things that you get to experience that make your life easier and accepting that and being grateful and using that as the lens in which you view other people and their situations and what they bring to you. So I don't know, you're wonderful. And <laughs> we went so many directions and I'm so <laughs> glad that we did. What else would you like to talk about today? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, um, I really do like, Oh, speaking of the podcast that I mentioned, I heard the other day, uh, one of the co-hosts, Erica mentioned something that was a piece of advice. I've been asked what was the best advice you got as a parent? One piece of advice that I got, which was from my mom, the best advice I've ever received, and Erica touched on this on their podcast, which was um, let your kid grow into the life they have. And Mm. it was so simple. She said it just, it wasn't like she sat and like started this whole thing. It was just, she said it on the fly. Uh, I think my son was like three weeks old at the time. And I was already sensing the beginning of the end of my marriage, feeling very stressed out about it and worried kind of what we just talked about oh my god I'm going to be a single mom and she was like you're going to be a person and (laughs) your kid is going to grow into the life that they have and you get to define whether or not it is enough you know and so I always encourage because of that advice I always encourage especially new moms like just be yourself you know what I mean like if you want to play music in the morning play music in the morning if you want to have friends over, have friends, like whatever your life looks like, your child will grow into it and see it as love as long as they're safe and they're cared for, obviously. But like this whole idea that we have to break ourselves and contort ourselves into what we think this baby needs is right. just wrong. It's just not, it's incorrect. I have to tell you as much as I love my husband, I'm remarried and and our life and all of these things I always talk about and I wrote about in my book, the time I was a single alone mom with my daughter in our little townhouse with, you couldn't even turn around without hitting a wall, but it was just such a time of happiness and love and getting to mom in my own way without like anybody else's opinions and the music on and the wanting to sleep in bed together. Fine. No big deal. Like that was such a major powerful time in my life, a happy time that even my daughter remembers bits and pieces of now. And we just loved it so much. So mamas, like make that time your own, let your child grow into it. It doesn't have to look any which way in order to be okay for you or for anybody else for that matter. It will be fine. It'll be, It'll fine. be fine. Yeah. I can say that now. I feel like I'm over the, the 10 year hump now. I'm like, I have a middle schooler. I guess we'll see. He's still cooking, but like I no, like I think by now, out. yeah. And, you know, when you get divorced, when your kids are young, they really don't yeah. remember any other way. So yeah. on one hand, that's an advantage. But like we also talked about, they're going to mourn the loss of what they don't remember. So it's going to bring yeah. up some tough stuff. But yay for raising resilient children, right? We did the work. Yeah. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to 
be a whole person. I didn't want to not be a whole person just because I had divorced his father. And so your kid, I mean, my kids see me date, see me go through breakups, seeing, you know, just the realities of life. And as long as I meet those moments with love and um, as much transparency as is appropriate and, you know, for, for their, their age, it's always been um, a learning experience that we can draw from, that he can draw from as like, oh, it's okay to center my needs when I'm navigating relationships. It's okay to say, I don't want this anymore. It's okay to say, mm-hmm. you know, to to detach from people who are not serving me. That's something that he learned because he's seen me go through a breakup. It's not, it's not traumatizing if it's mm-hmm. uh, a loving conversation. And if it benefits your life in the long run, right? I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. and also, you know, just because society has painted single motherhood in a certain way, I, I want to say this to everybody because everyone comes to me with this concern. Don't let that stop you. That's that stigma or that stereotype stop you from mm-hmm. doing what you need to do. And also don't let society put shame on you for doing what you need to do to raise that child. And that's what I brought up with that song. It was like, you know, it, it was almost like shaming, like someone mm-hmm. desperate to take care of their child. And And I hear it now in the context of like, you got to do the best you can as a mom, but but anything you do is not going to be good enough, right? We're going to we're going to paint that in a bad light. So, if you are in that situation, be proud when you put your head down on the pillow at night knowing you're doing anything and everything you can to create a better life for your child whatever way you need to do it. Absolutely. And I fully abide by the notion that um you can be a single mother in and out of marriage. There's a lot of women who are married who feel like single mothers. Oh, truth bomb. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Gonna kind of write this one down. <laughs> um, so it's also just like a totally made up concept in the first place. So being okay is what matters. Yeah, you can feel very lonely when you're with somebody. Mm-hmm. Alone is very different than lonely, ladies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True story. That is a good point. Okay. Um, covered 600 topics, got to know more about <laughs> you, promoted the book showed my age with the song I was thinking we're, of. I think we're the same age. You said you, you you turned 40 this year? Yeah. You I too? turned 40 next May. Oh, okay. I'm in November. Oh, good. Good for us in the best season of our <laughs> lives. Right? Someone said to me recently, oh God, turning 40, that was hard for me. How does that feel for you? And I'm like, kind of doing okay. I mean, my yeah. metabolism sucks, but otherwise, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm back in school. I yeah. feel so fulfilled by the work that I do. My co-parent and I are now planning a ski trip again this this year oh, together. God. Like, what do I have to complain about? I'm alive. I I love it. I have friendships with women of all generations. One of my friends is in her 60s, like friend, not my auntie, but my friend. And um, I love hearing women talk about their 40s and 50s because the reviews are glowing. They're like, mm-hmm. no, your 40s are actually it. They lied about your 20s. Mm-hmm. Your 20s are mm-hmm. like computer and you haven't found like Set. the right yeah. yet or whatever. You're in your 40s and you figured it out. You feel more secure. Um, you're still fine, like whatever. You're still beautiful, gorgeous, whatever, by all the stupid standards out there. And you're not as you're not as confused about yourself. I think that growing into that knowledge is priceless. And you have, like I found for myself, I've, detachment is something I was never good at. And like, yeah. I've mastered that now because I value myself so much more wholly and fully than I ever did before. So many good things come with age. I agree. Yeah. And goodbye is a lot easier. (laughs) 
<laughs> not answering the phone, not dropping everything for that one-sided friendship. So many things are easier now, Ashley. Life is easier with you in it because you are giving so much good knowledge to the people who need it. Um, we now consider you part of our village and I'm grateful for that. Everybody needs to check out Ashley if they haven't already on IG. I will link the book and you are a writer. You're in Brooklyn, right? I used to live in Brooklyn. Good stuff. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy. For those of you listening, have a great week and we'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my moving on method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, certified divorce and co-parenting specialist, and I founded the moving on method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.